In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Greetings from Canterbury Cathedral in the United Kingdom, the mother church of the worldwide Anglican Communion. Uh, it was my honor to represent you as one of 16 men's choir, as one of 16 in a men's choir that Ben Lane pulled together for a week-long residency at the cathedral. It was an, a wonderful and amazing experience. I'm very grateful to be a part of this church family and to be able to go on, on, um, on our behalf. Uh, we led Evensong for a week and served as choir for Sunday morning mass a week ago today. Uh, ben and Michael Petrosh put together an incredible array of music from English composers to Orlando local composers, uh, Peter Matthews, Carl Maltzby, Andrew Walker, and uh, Ben and, and Michael. We sang some of their pieces as well. We were joined by several family and friends there, and on Sunday morning, three of them were invited to bring forward the elements at communion. It was, it was glorious. Uh, Archbishop uh, Justin Welby joined us twice for Evensong. And in fact, it, it was uh, three archbishops from earlier uh, generations that put Canterbury on the map in the first place and that have made the place a profound place of spiritual pilgrimage. And that's what I think it was for each one of us who got to go. Uh, let me just mention those, those three archbishops. Our, uh, Augustine of Canterbury, not to be confused with Augustine of Hippo, after whom St. Augustine is named, and Augustine Grass. Uh, this, is a different, <laughs> this is a different Augustine. Uh, Augustine of Canterbury, uh, who founded the cathedral in A.D. 597, and the evangelist of southeastern England. Uh, more on him later. Then there was Thomas Becket, martyred in 1170, in part over a dispute with King Henry II, his former friend over just who gets to crown the heir apparent. And third, Thomas Cramner, chief architect of the Book of Common Prayer, a project begun under King Henry VIII in the 1530s. And it was extraordinary to sing psalms there by Miles Coverdale, part of the great Bible that Henry VIII authorized, uh, Canterbury being one of the first places that they would have been sung in the first place. And and that, they're, and that they're still a part of the English Book of Common Prayer. It was just, it was, it was amazing. Now, I think it was recalling Archbishop Becket's conflict with King Henry II back in 1170 over who gets to crown the next king that made this verse from today's gospel jump out at me. When Jesus realized that they were about to come and take him by force and make him king, he withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Now, there's so many rich things that can be said about today's gospel passage, but I found myself thinking down a very narrow line. King Jesus' refusal to let others crown him king at this point. So I have three points to pursue with you. 
First is, King Jesus, yes, but. And then second, three wonderful assurances that he offers. And then third, the call for one terrifying condition to know him as the true king. First, King Jesus, yes, but. And again, there's so much that can be said about this passage and about, and about his refusal to let people crown him, but there's at least this that has to be on his mind. And pardon this paragraph-long Kidian interpolation. Oh, for sure, I will be your king, but in my way and in my time, not yours. Child, I could feed you this bread every day but it would never satisfy you. I need to give you, no, I need to be for you bread of life that will bring a satisfaction beyond your imagination. And yes, to do that, I must become king. But that coronation takes place on a cross. And then when upon my resurrection and ascension to the Father, my Father and yours, I come to dwell in your heart. Then I will not be king just of things around you, not just of the things out there that victimize you and oppress you, but I will be king of you. And then you yourself will reign in life. You will reign over your own self. You will reign over fear and guilt and condemnation, free from pride and wrath, free from addiction and compulsion. Thing is, Jesus will not be mascot for my team, chaplain to my way of life, avatar or projection of my own ego. No, he's going to be king. The call is for a complete surrendering of my will to rule myself by myself. The fact is, nothing could be more contrary to the way most of us were raised and, at least at some level, all of us really think. So, first, King Jesus, yes, but... Second, nonetheless, three wonderful assurances. If we but submit to Jesus' version of kingship, good will come to us. First, he delivers. The passage today opens with the reminder that the feast of Passover approaches. A reminder that God delivers his people from oppression to freedom, whether the journey takes 40 years or 40 lifetimes. In this case, by John's counting, three Passovers after this one, Jesus will be lifted up on a cross both of humiliation and exaltation to win us freedom from sin's oppression. So he delivers but second, he feeds. He provided manna and quail in the wilderness. He fed in Elisha's day. He promises to set a table before us in the presence of our enemies. Jesus invites us to pray for daily bread. 
He feeds the 5,000 here. He cares for you and me, spirit, soul, and body. And third, not only does he deliver and feed, but he sees you to your journey's end. The feeding of the 5,000 is the one miracle that all four gospel writers tell us about. And then three of those gospel writers, all but Luke, talk about Jesus walking on the water while his disciples are in a storm at sea. In each of those three accounts of Jesus walking on the water, he reveals himself as I am. That's God's first that's God's first person name. That's how God names himself. That's how he named himself to Moses. Then Jesus says, you know, that God who named himself at the burning bush is the God of Passover, that would be me. Uh, technically, that would be I. But frustrated English teacher up here, sorry. It is I, God incarnate, here with you. Now, in the other two Gospels that talk about Jesus walking on the water, Mark and Matthew, Jesus displays that power and authority by calming the storm. In John's version, there's still a storm, but he displays his power and authority differently, simply by getting them to their journey's destination. All of a sudden, they find themselves on the other side, where they were sailing in the first place. And that's really troubled interpreters over the years. But there's no reason that it has to be a big problem. It's very simple. In John's version, he simply wants us to know that the God who put you on the journey and does not always seem to be present in the storms has always been traveling with you and will see you through to safe harbor. He will get you home. So, King Jesus, yes, but three wonderful assurances, and then third, one terrifying condition, surrender. Bow the knee. Here's where I want to go back to Augustine of Canterbury, the founder of Canterbury Cathedral. We're back in the middle of the first millennium. Pope Gregory the Great, Pope in Rome, has seen English boys in the slave markets in Rome and has heard stories of angelic angles. And the stories are that for a while he just, he bought those slave boys so that he could set them free. But he knows that in the long run, something needs to change among, among the English. And having heard the stories of angelic angles in A.D. 596, he sends Augustine on mission. Augustine doesn't want to go, but reluctantly he obeys. However, traveling by land from Italy through France, he hears horror stories about the cruelty of those pagan English, and he turns back. He returns to Rome, but Gregory is going, I will have nothing of this cowardice. And Gregory sends him back. Augustine arrives in England, 
quivering at the prospect of an early martyrdom. But it turns out that there's a Christian queen in Southeast England, Kent. Her name is Bertha. And her husband, Ethelbert, is winnable. All he needs is for somebody to explain how you become a Christian. And he's in. Within the first few months, thousands are converted and baptized. And the mission is launched in England. Perched then as it is on the southeast corner of England, where England interfaces most directly with continental Europe, the Canterbury Cathedral that Augustine founds becomes the place where English Christianity interfaces with the rest of the world and is one reason why it is such a profound place of pilgrimage. So can we talk about some lessons? Lessons for me personally and perhaps for us as a cathedral family? The crowds that came to Jesus needed food but more. They needed to know he cared about their immediate concerns, which he does and which he, which he did and which he does. But he was insistent on taking the conversation always to a deeper level, which is where we're going in the next couple of weeks. May you find that he cares for you in your day-to-day -day needs, your daily bread, but may you also find at this table a greater bread that he supplies himself. The disciples needed to know that Jesus was with them in the storm and would get them to safe harbor. I don't know what the storm that you're facing is, but I'll bet there is one. May you know that he is with you and he will get you to your safe harbor. Now, Augustine needed to know that the Lord had gone ahead of him and that the fears that had filled his head of insensible, cruel brutes just waiting to kill him were fantasies. What he found when he answered the call to go and tell was people whom God had prepared for the good news of a God who loved them. We are surrounded by people in our neighborhoods, in this neighborhood, in our workplaces. May we resist May we resist refusing to reach out from fear of people that seem to us too fringy or too conformist. May we resist not reaching out from fear of beggars or bankers, shallow, upwardly mobile-looking people that we think are only there to trying to make a buck and build a resume, or people that seem to us to be sheer fun seekers. May we obey the call to go and tell and find ourselves in the middle of divinely orchestrated conversations with new friends and new followers of Jesus the King. 
May we, in a word, give ourselves to that love that sent God's very Son into this sin-sick world that finally compelled Augustine to England to go and tell that same love that motivated the Apostle Paul to write in prayer from a prison cell in Rome, having obeyed the same call, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith as you are being rooted and grounded in love. I pray, he writes, that you may have the power to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled, filled with the fullness of God. And now to him who is able to do exceeding abundantly beyond all that we ask or even think to ask, to him be the glory in Christ Jesus and in the church now and forever. Amen.